Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for elimination. Let us pray. Holy God, give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and courage to follow you. Pour out your spirit in this place that we may see more hope, more peace, more joy, and more love. Amen. Scripture lesson today comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 14, and then chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him and out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. <clears throat> then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Morites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I now come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, What's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Then Moses replied, but what if they don't believe me or pay attention to me? They might say to me, the Lord didn't appear to you. The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Moses replied, a shepherd's rod. The Lord said, throw it down on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out and grab the snake by the tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into the rod in his hand. The word 
of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This story really is so familiar to many of us. We find Moses doing his normal thing. And we have to remember where he has come from and what has brought him to this place in particular. From a volatile, infanticide-ridden beginning to the house of Pharaoh, from murderer to exile, and from exile to shepherd, Moses has experienced more than most of us and has been the victim of some unspeakable atrocities. And it is here that we catch up to him in the wilderness. And if that isn't a loaded term in and of itself. See, it calls forth a, a plethora of, of images and theological meaning. It's mentioned over 270 times in the Old Testament. The wilderness is uncivilized. It's dangerous. It's far-reaching. It's strangely beautiful, and it's transformative on those who enter. The Israelites will come to worship God in the wilderness. They will wander in the wilderness. They'll have incredible heights and incredible lows in the wilderness. Later, Jesus will be led, as the Gospel writers tell us, to the wilderness. He will emerge 40 days later, a clear echo of Israel's time spent in the wilderness, and then he will begin his public ministry. It's a strong motif, not only in this passage, but throughout the narratives of Scripture. And we find Moses minding his own business in the wilderness. He's doing his job. He's doing his nine-to-five, right? He's punching the clock. It's a day all too similar to days past. And it is on this day for Moses that everything is going to change. So out of the corner of his eye, he catches a, a curious sight, a bush on fire. It's this bush that draws him in, and it's curiosity, as it turns out, that would lead Moses to his calling. Just the fact that Moses is open to exploring this is worth noting. It's the Middle East, and there's plenty of sort of historical records of bushes uh, catching on fire, but they all burn up. The unique thing about this bush is, the text says, but it was not consumed. It didn't burn up. This alone drives Moses closer. And it's here that Moses has an encounter with the living God. There's a lot of content to uncover. You could probably write, you know, 15 sermons on that passage alone. Uh, but what strikes me at first is the monologue that God launches into. And for 10 verses, God addresses Moses. And all Moses does is listen at first. He doesn't deny the fact that he hears God calling him. He doesn't run the other direction when he hears God calling him. He doesn't interrupt, shout over, or downplay God calling him. No, he simply listens. He listens, and then he objects. It's fascinating, I think, that our lives resemble Moses a lot more than we like to admit. I know far too many people who know what they're supposed to do. They know their calling. They know the task that God has placed on their lives. They recognize where they're supposed to be kind of plugged in at. And they have a deep sense of calling. But for one reason or another, they neglect this calling. In seminary, there are some classes that are um, full of interesting folk, should we say. Uh, there's sort of the young crowd, people who came right up from undergrad, who pursued then uh, theological education at seminary and said they want to be pastors. And then this whole other half of the classroom that's full of second career folks. People who used to be car salesmen, or they worked at the factory, or you name it, and then 
God called them, and you talk to them about this and say, so what, why'd you give it up? You know, you had a great career, you had good retirement, good benefits. They say, well, I knew from a pretty early age that I was supposed to go and serve God. I was called into ministry, but I just thought I could kind of get away from it. And so I did some other stuff, and now here I am sitting in class with you. <laughs> you know, you can't, uh, can't always run from God. God has a, a funny way of calling us to the work that we're supposed to do. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a doubt. Maybe it's lack of confidence. Maybe it's issues surrounding our own inadequacy or our own credentials for the task at hand. Whatever it is, it's definitely real in our mind. Yet when God calls us to a particular work, as we will find out, those fears, doubts, inadequacies are melted away. And so Moses is walking along, minding his own business, shepherding in the wilderness, and God shows up. And God says to Moses, the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you <laughs> to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Because God always hears the cry of the oppressed. And this cry has reached God, and God has decided to act, and God has decided to equip Moses for the task. So Moses asked God a series of questions. Maybe you've asked God similar questions. And they bear witnessing here. He asks, who am I that I should go? What should I say when they ask who sent me? And what if they don't believe me? Moses' own fears, doubts, and lack of confidence become barriers for him in the calling God has placed on his life. It's important to note that God doesn't yell at Moses, doesn't tell him his fears are misguided, or that his objections are unfounded. Rather, God does something unique, something even Moses perhaps was not expecting. He gives him three signs to sort of bolster his confidence. The staff turned into a snake, his hand can turn leprous, and then the fancy parlor trick of turning water into blood. Um, it's interesting to see Moses do that. And these are miraculous things, no doubt. But what strikes me is the first sign, and that's our focus for today. See, God asks Moses a simple question, what is in your hand? And you can only imagine Moses' hesitation to this. I can only assume it played out a little something like this, right? Moses is probably like, uh, you mean this? This old thing? This the stick? The staff? And God replies, yeah. That old thing. I know you've had it for a while. It's beat up. It looks like a staff to me. Moses kind of, I don't know, dodges a little bit, says, it's just a shepherd's rod. God looks him up and down and says, yeah, a shepherd's rod, that'll work. Moses is most likely complexed at this thought. And God tells him to throw it on the ground, and so he does, and it transforms into a serpent. And he responds as I would. I would have absolutely lost my mind. Because I can't even walk down that aisle in PetSmart with the snakes, you know? It's like, it's, it is too much for me. Uh, I might have responded maybe something, something like this. And that line is uh, transferable, works in all situations, you know, traffic, 
busy mall, very dangerous. You, you go first, go in, go in. So the serpent was and still is uh, a symbol of power, danger, and wisdom. It's the symbol that Pharaoh adopted. It's one of Egypt's earliest pagan gods. It's that small Urias that we often see on Pharaoh's crown. It's no accident that God chooses this ordinary stick and transforms it into something extraordinary. For Moses, God uses the shepherd's staff in two ways. He uses it first as a, as a theological symbol that is superiority over Pharaoh and Egypt's pagan gods, and second as a practical tool. The staff is familiar to Moses. It's something he uses day in and day out. And God, if you will, he, God utilizes its own utility, its, practical, its practicalness. And God does the very same for us today. God is asking us, much like he asked Moses, what is in your hand? And all too often, we respond like Moses. We look at what we have, our gifts, our talents, our education, our experience, and we look back at God and say, you want me to use this? You want me to use this ordinary stuff? The staff is representative of Moses' talent and skill, and God transforms the ordinary staff into something more extraordinary than Moses could ever imagine. Today you have to ask yourself the question, what is in your hand? And our strings of objections are most likely the same string of objections Moses had. Objections over fear, doubt, confidence, our own inadequacies, our own credentials. It's funny how the gifts that God has given us become barriers for God to do work. Moses looks at God and says, this is just a, stepper, a shepherd's rod. It's just a staff. And God responds, sure, it's just a rod. But with me, it becomes so much more than that. Moses has doubts about how this is all going to work. And if he is capable, and God responds, as God typically does, just perfectly. God's response is this, says, don't worry about it. I am with you. Who am I that I should go, Moses says. And God says, I am calling you to the task. What should I say when they ask who sent me? And God says, I am sending you. What if they don't believe me? And God says, I'm going to be with you. You see, who Moses is and what Moses is capable of doing is not the issue. It's who is with Moses and what God is capable of doing. God helps Moses even identify the most tangible things that he's going to use, like his shepherd's rod. Our collective uh, talents and gifts, education and experiences are our own, but what God can do through them is exponentially more potent than what we will ever be capable of doing on our own. God is going to empower Moses to use his talents for the betterment of his community. You'll notice that God doesn't equip Moses to go sit in a room by himself and say, look what I can do. I can turn the rod into a snake, and I can make my hand leprous and heal again, and I can turn the water into... That's not what Moses is called to do. He's equipped to better a community and his people. Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, each person is giving something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful, 1 Corinthians 12. Again, in Romans, in Romans 12, Paul says this, In the same way, though there are many of us, we are all one body in Christ. And individually, we belong to each other. 
We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. Moses is blessed so that he can turn around and bless others. And it is to this that we are called as a community. We identify the particulars, the gifts, the talents, the education and experience that's in our hands, and we collectively ask ourselves, where is the need? Where can these ordinary gifts be utilized for the kingdom of God? What is in your hand? Maybe it's your ability to teach and love children. Then Chapelwood needs you in the grow hour. Volunteering in children's grow hour down the hall. Reading to children. Volunteering at Lake Jackson Intermediate in Brazzleswood. What is in your hand? Maybe your gifting is that you're handy. You can fix tiles, rewire a ballast, muck out a house. Then Chapelwood needs you working with serve. Volunteering to visit shut-ins and repair that screen door. Recalk those window sills, fix a leak under the sink. What is in your hand? Maybe you're retired and you have some time on your hands. Then Chapelwood needs you because the tasks to be done are plenty and we need your willingness to partner with existing ministries and help create new ones. What is in your hand? Maybe you can sing or play an instrument or you love tech and music, then Chapelwood needs you to join the choir, to plug into worship and arts, to volunteer in the, in the media booth. What is in your hand? Maybe you can help people develop their talents and skills. Then Chapelwood needs you to lead vocational classes in the community and help raise up new leaders. What is in your hand? Maybe some of you aren't sure what's in your hand. You don't quite know. You haven't quite identified some of the gifts, some of the talents. Then you need to plug into a grow group, a covenant group, a tribe. Because just like Moses, our gifts are not developed and appropriated for our own use. Rather, it's in community that our gifts and talents find meaning and purpose. And they're used ultimately for the kingdom of God. What is in your hand? God is asking us the same question God asked Moses. He hears our complaints, our objections, and our barriers, and then ultimately says, I understand. You don't have to do a whole lot because I'll be with you. Are you willing to allow me to work through you? We may not be called to be a great deliverer to nations, sent to lead an entire people from oppression. Christ has done that already. But the Lord uses us where we are to do his work. And God makes sure the opportunities to engage in the kingdom work are there. May we look for them and find them as we appropriate within our hand to the community. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.